Hey folks, welcome to episode 46 of the Becoming Human podcast. I am your alien overlord, Will Nelson. In this podcast, I sit down with human beings after I've probed them with the brand new Mr. Probe 5000 to understand what it's really like on this earth. Luckily, the Mr. Probe 5000 did not malfunction on this episode, so no guests were killed. Maybe a little bit harmed, but I, I seriously recommend sticking with Mr. Probe 2700, at least until they get all the bugs worked out. But if you like all the new uh, buttons and features, you can head over to our Amazon store and pick it up, and we'll even get a little bit of a percentage from that, a cut. It'll keep this alien spaceship rolling. I met Daniel while practicing jujitsu. I found out he was into backpacking, and I was excited. I wanted to listen to all of his adventures. I brought Daniel on to talk about his progression as a backpacker, especially since he was all self-taught, at least mostly. It's an interesting thing, your relationship with misery, or suffering, discomfort. Not just in backpacking, but in athletics, almost any difficult pursuit. You begin to get sick for it. You crave it. And not the misery. It's the overcoming. The challenge. The obstacles. And it produces some very intense character development. Daniel, he topped off his backpacking progression by hiking uh, the Scottish National Trail. It's a trail that runs north by south across Scotland. It's 536 miles. It's part hiking, part route finding, and bushwhacking. He was drawn to its remoteness and the fact that not many people he's met have done it, if any. And his pride and ego and excitement for the adventure to come pushed him forward. It's interesting how he describes the hardest parts. He almost cherishes as if they were trophies in his own mind. And I'm sure we could all relate to overcoming those challenges and obstacles. Even if they're abstract in, within our own minds. I admire Daniel for his no-nonsense, no-bullshit introspection. With his admittance of indulgence and ego... And also his love of it, his love of pride, and his acceptance of himself with all of his downfalls. Um, backpacking's a trip, man, because like that entire time you have the ability to be in your own head. There is nothing to pull you away. There's no electronics. There isn't any other thing aside from moving your body. From walking, from continuing, from pushing past the blisters, the ensuing rains, snows. Yet your mind has all the time to think. Personally, I used to think you'd go crazy spending days on end in your own mind. But it could be the most eye-opening experience. Well, backpacking may be frustrating, 
it is laden with beautiful experiences that are very difficult to anticipate. For the first step is the easiest to plan, but every step thereafter becomes more and more surprising. If you'd like to check out Daniel's blog, you can find the link to it in the show notes. I'm going to play you in with a mystery song this week. And you can also go on the website, uh, killyourking.com, and check out all of the photos from his trip. It was really cool because he got to top that trip off with a beautiful lighthouse over in the Highlands in Scotland. And and even met another friend, too. (laughs) He's got the coolest trail name, too. Wooly. (laughs) But I'll let him tell you that story. Well, you guys have a wonderful day, and get out there, y'all. A prince in practice moans for the attention that he wants, but most of town won't even dignify his ignorance with the response left to a crowded their home by a 15 year old mom never been held in anyone's arms when you never been moved it's really hard to move on a young saleswoman sets up shop when the sun sets you make your wildest dreams come true at a price you won't forget the sad and married set up alibis no harm no regret hoping they meet an angel in bed that could wrestle the devil right out of their heads the city runs fast no one has time to sit with themselves no time to look into our pain or see the same despair but everyone else is here it's there it's everywhere tears soak each card the dealers dealt time taught me how to see every second is heaven even though they're perfectly disguised as hell and i refuse to let past bruises cover the light it ain't all good but it's all good enough so i know i'm all right agony is truth it's our connection to the living i accept it as perfection and keep on existing in the now i can only build if i tear the walls down even if it breaks me i will let it make me frown i'm falling but no matter how hard i hit the ground i'll still smile i can only build if i tear the walls down even if it breaks me i will let it make me frown i'm falling but no matter how hard i hit the ground i'll still smile to ear as if that's all I'm here for despite the wars founded by the rich funded by the poor kids barely 18 are dying so billionaires can make more elsewhere hungry mothers watch the baby starve to death in a beat up shack on a dirt floor the aged professor quotes freedoms without a path now he dresses like a widow and preaches love is dead in every class but curiosity killed the cat and taught the dog and him how to act and burned his bridge to jill so he tries to drown the guilt with a bottle of jack self-proclaimed rebels say we must oppose the system you gotta take a stand if you're not against them you're with them the science reads support the troops bring them home no more innocent victims but when a homeless veteran asks for spare change they're too busy protesting to even listen and i'm no different i live in conflict and contradiction but it can be so beautiful when i don't reject what lies within it's beautiful the way agony connects us to the living i think of the world when i hurt and keep on existing in the now I can only build if I tear the walls down Even if it breaks me, I won't let it make me frown I'm falling, but no matter 
If it breaks me, I'ma let it make me frown Falling, but no matter how hard I hit the ground I'll still smile Today, I brought my friend Daniel on. That's me. Yeah. So, Daniel, they, I understand that you've done a little bit of traveling. A little bit. Um, you know, as far as backpacking goes, I've only back, I backpacked mostly United States. Mm hmm. Ooh. But uh, did a little bit in Europe. Like I told you a little bit about that. Mm hmm. Um, did a 400 mile hike in Scotland. Wow. From the southern tip to the northern tip. That's great. Is have you uh, have you always been like uh, really athletic, or did that seem intimidating to you to get into backpacking? I never even thought about it as an athletic thing. Uh, I grew up on a bunch of property in eastern Washington, ooh. So I was always end up being outside, mm -hmm. um, and then you know just I, I I moved to Texas when I was twelve. I kind of got put in in concrete jungle oh yeah it's all flat there too uh, pretty flat yeah i mean there's some cool landscapes but they're not going to be in dallas fort worth <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i think i just always had this drive to get back into it i never thought of it as a, as hiking as like an athletic activity yeah i did okay. you know i always grappled um mm -hmm. uh, did wrestling played football you know stuff like that but um i don't know that and i power lifted mm-hmm so that was kind of hiking is kind of like a leisurely activity. Oh, I see. So you were already you've already done strenuous activity, and so by comparison, that was like I could do that physically. Were you afraid of like wildlife or being out alone? Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, well, first of all, I I didn't think of it as a strenuous activity, but it still is. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're backpacking 400 miles, especially mm -hmm. on that hike, which was just insanely hard. What was your uh, carry weight? Do you know on average? It was probably about fifty. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. yeah, give or take, depending on, depending on how many days. Because you you know you hit go into a town every th three days or so, but then sometimes mm -hmm. you go in town, into a town you know once a week. Mm -hmm. And so if you're gonna go six days without being in any towns, you got to carry a lot of food. Yeah. So so I mean yeah that in that sense it's really demanding physically, but but it's just so enjoyable and you're getting so much out of it. You don't think of it as as a, you know physically challenging mm -hmm. you just do it right? yeah that, that isn't the main object of yeah. it. i understand what's the thing that you what is pleasurable about it for you oh well you know <laughs> there's a lot that's pleasurable about it first of all i think uh during most people wouldn't know this about me because i do so much backpacking but while i do it i don't enjoy it mm -hmm. most of the time at least mm -hmm. while i'm hiking you know i at least for sure when i first started when I first started, I did not enjoy the the challenge, the physical challenge of the hike. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like something that I'm gritting through. And eventually, over time, I started to really love that grind. Mm -hmm. I started to love the the feeling of just pushing through stuff. Really? Yeah. Like overcoming. Struggling. To well, it wasn't even because the overcoming, 
like learning to enjoy the overcoming part is pretty easy. I think that's within all of us to an extent to just enjoy overcoming, whether mm -hmm. it's just, you know, getting a good grade on your homework and you overcome that, that challenge of doing the homework and getting a good grade or whether it's, you know, hiking 400 miles, you know, either way it's fulfilling to overcome, mm -hmm. but can you, when you're in within the challenge, you know, when it's happening, when there's, you're grappling and a guy's got you in a rear naked choke, you know, and you're trying to get out it, at first, you know, maybe <laughs> you don't see a lot of enjoyment in that. No, it's, it's just brutal. Out. Yeah. And that's, but now if somebody's got me in a tricky submission, I get this kind of challenge, this kind of competitiveness with myself. Like how, how can I, I try to be objective about the situation and step mm -hmm. out of it and be like, well, this is fascinating. What I'm feeling right now is really fascinating. My ability to uh, think through this situation and eventually escape, you know, that, that, that is a whole new level of enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And it's and, and to me, it's it's really profound to be able to be in challenging situations and be excited about them mm -hmm. while you're in them. But like I said, you know, when you get done with a hike, I mean, yeah, sure, it's easy to be be happy about it then yeah it's a lot harder when you're actually in it there's something that i admire about that because um the cold is something i think similar uh, i have a similar relationship to just as you do in these other things whereas like um the cold or i got into um enjoying uh, like cold showers or going outside with limited layers when i'm going outside for a short time i wouldn't go in the wild obviously like that but right. when i was hunting um, even when I was layered, I was miserable with like the, how cold it was or how much rain it was. Right. But it was finding calm and tranquility during that, yeah. that state of misery yeah. was the most peaceful feeling that I've ever felt. And so like when I, I'll flip on a cold shower, right. And at first, like, it's like grit your teeth, make you want to, you feel like you're freezing. Yeah. And then after a certain point, when you're able to just like step outside of your body or objectively look at your the sensations you're experiencing. You're like, ah, that's coldness. Like, there's some sort of pleasure there that I have never known before doing it. Whether it's these athletic endeavors or anything, doing anything um, at a higher level, I suppose, or doing anything often. Sure. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, like I said, it's a, having that gratification of completing something, and, mm -hmm. and I mean, that's. That. <laughs> that's profound too but but having that ability while you're within the moment it's kind of like a the buddhist mindfulness mm. where you you have the ability to recognize emotions as you feel them and watch them as they pass rather than totally be uh taken hostage by them yeah like entangled in them i see yeah and that gets a a form of presence instead yeah. of being on that hamster wheel where you're just bing 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 yeah. bing between all these thoughts feeling all these things you know we were, we were talking about it earlier mm -hmm. uh with your son or with, you know, when you're a kid, how you don't recognize emotions, you just kind of feel them. And you'd think that as you get older, you'd, you'd learn to recognize <laughs> emotions. But I, to me, I used to struggle with a lot of anxiety and I, now I don't at all. And I think it, it just, what happened is at some point I would feel the anxiety and I would catch it and I would go, okay, what is that? What's causing me to feel that? Let's, let's retrace, let's back, backtrack, yeah. go back to the beginning. And I think, um, it all goes kind of hand in hand, like having this ability to recognize feelings as they come mm -hmm. and treat them responsibly and try to, you know, if they're negative feelings, try to combat them so you don't have them in the future. And then you don't, uh, I forgot, it was like neuro-linguistic training. If someone brought up, brought to me, brought to my attention, like uh, your behavior and how you create ruts 
by like you are what you think essentially but yeah. if you continue to indulge in these thoughts you begin to uh, manifest yep. that like if you think about eating and the pleasure of eating all the time you then have an issue to where well you're eating more calories than you actually expend yeah. and I've noticed those addictive tendencies within myself where it's like uh, like I get done with dinner right and I'm like Ooh, you know what? Cheesecake sounds good right now. And I'm like, yeah. There was a point to me where I would always be like, yeah, let's eat that. And then now, I've got I've noticed certain times where I'm like, that's no, let's let's not have that. You you can do that on the weekend, you know, on Sunday. But right now, let's delay that gratification. You know, it's really interesting. I think when you look at uh, all the major religions, maybe not all of them, but mm-hmm. from what I know of most of the major religions, is that they have in common this. Uh, overcoming these uh, animalistic sensations that we often succumb to so you know if you're you know you're with this girl you've been with her for a while and then you know you're, you don't feel as much love or passion in the relationship anymore and then all of a sudden you're enticed to cheat because you see some other girl and you think she's sexy you want to be with her you know animalistically that's not wrong mm-hmm Animalistically, that's right. We should be yeah. trying to spread our seed. More children. What about humans makes us question mm. the ethic behind that? What about humans makes us go, no, I'm going to overcome this urge, mm-hmm. even though my body tells me and evolution tells me and the whole natural world tells me that I shouldn't. There's something in us that goes, no, no, no. No, I, I, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and granted... That could be a social construct, for mm-hmm. sure. That could be, but why, where, why did the social construct come about? Yeah. Where's the benefit in that? Mm-hmm. Because there has to be some sort of evolutionary benefit for our species. Yeah. Or else it would not have been incentivized um, by reproduction yeah. over time. Because exactly. that, that would be run counterintuitive because you would intuitively say, no, the I want to fuck everyone is uh, something that should get passed on because I have sex most. And right. I have the most kids and they're going to do what I do. Uh, my genes are out there, right. Mm-hmm. Evolutionary, evolutionarily, mm-hmm. that makes a lot more sense. But then you have this question of ethics. That then you have apart. ethics. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I think... Uh, I don't know if we really talked about ethics a lot, but mm-hmm. I think I've got a, I've got a pretty, you know, I, I think we're both Jordan Peterson fans. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of goes along the same lines of, mm-hmm. is there a true right and wrong? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, so I mean, stra- weirdly enough, all, all of these kind of ideas of ethics and all this kind of came out of this idea of recognizing where you're at in a situation, mm-hmm. um, recognizing the challenge, and then just loving it. Oh yeah, the challenge. I, I I see. Wait, can you elaborate a little further on that? Yeah. So let me think about this for a little bit. Okay. It, when you're obviously, like I told you, when I first started to hike, um, mm-hmm. I think I had this kind of utopian idea of what, because I grew up, you know, maybe did some hikes with my dad or someone else. Kid grew up in some property, mm-hmm. but it was all easy stuff. It wasn't like I was really pushing myself to any you know great challenges. And living in Texas, I had this real drive to come back to Washington and be out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't know what that really entailed. I just knew I wanted to be there, right? Yeah, so you had like an idealized notion of what the wilderness was. Kind of had this drive 
to to be in you know a beautiful place, right? There's animals running around. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. And I think a lot of people have that kind of idea of the yeah, wilderness. I do. You don't, <laughs> you don't think of like the negative aspects of it. No, I thought hunting was gonna be like I'd be I'd be warm and I'd probably see deer like, first day. You'd see them everywhere. Yeah. You get to choose the biggest one. Yeah. That one looks tastiest. I'm going for that one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, you'd be scraping by the last day. Like I just want anything that's legal. Exactly. <laughs> like I don't want to walk anymore. <laughs> So, so I moved to Washington, uh, back to Washington, really in my early 20s, so 22 and I'm, you know, 25, about to be 26. Mm -hmm. So four, about four years ago and I moved back and the only reason I moved back is because I wanted to hike. That was mm -hmm. it. And I wanted to backpack, although I didn't really know what backpacking was at that time. I mean, I, I didn't know that it was a real activity. I kind of just bought the cheapest backpacking gear like that I could Walmart? find. Like Amazon, whatever. Oh yeah. Just to cheat, like you know, a fifty dollar backpack, mm -hmm. and, and I didn't take it. I took a sleeping bag out there. I didn't take a sleeping pad. I oh, didn't take yeah. it. There was no such thing as, you know, I didn't take any bear spray. Like, really, <laughs> yeah. like, I, mean, I I didn't take a water filter. I didn't take any. So I went out into the North Cascades for my first ever backpacking trip, Ooh. and I hopped on the trail, and. <laughs> I'm hiking down. I'm feeling really good, you know. You know that euphoric feeling you have when you're just getting into yeah, the hike and it's beautiful outside. You're breathing fresh air. I'm like, I'm free. <laughs> now I get about seven miles into the hike. I started way too late. Uh huh. What time? Oh shoot, probably. Oh, well, summertime. I, I probably started at two. Oh. Or three. Oh shit. So it's about five, maybe six o'clock, and I'm leaning over this waterfall to look at or to take a picture actually is what I was doing and my water bottle falls out and tumbles down the waterfall oh, God. and uh, I'm like well I can go back or I can just uh, I eat like, like the water the water bottle that I had it had enough water and I thought for the whole entire trip or at <laughs> least I could boil water put it in there it could cool off mm -hmm. I knew that I could shouldn't just drink the water straight yeah and it wasn't that... that Majority of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, my water bottle goes tumbling down. I don't have any drinking water. I don't have any any filter. Um, and I don't have any tablets for water. So I've got nothing. I was just planning, like I said, boiling water. But now I don't even have a cup to drink water out of. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so I was like, it's about 6 o'clock. And I'm like, okay, I could hike all the way back out. But nah, why would I do that? So I hike another s s about 8 miles in. And I've got no water. And I'm just dying of thirst. And I'm just miserable. I didn't even, like, I, I didn't love the landscape. I didn't care about the awesome trees that I was seeing. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I'm in this old growth forest with trees that are the size of a kitchen, you know. It's yeah. Just, and uh, I'm sitting there, I'm not thinking about that. And it's in the North Cascades. And I've heard, I had heard to that point that there's grizzlies out there. There's not many. Yeah. I mean, there's maybe 10. Mm -hmm. And they cross the border back and forth. But as far as I was concerned, there, there was a, a thousand oh, of them. Oh, so fierce that <laughs> yeah. in. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I, so I set up my camp. I, couldn't, I didn't set up my tent before I went out there. So, so I tried to figure out how to set up my that tent. was your first time setting it up? First time setting it up. Oh, no. I got it set up. I didn't have a sleeping pad. Um, it was hot. as summertime, so I'm running around half naked. I haven't seen any people at all. <laughs> um, I'm pulling water out of this creek. I'm boiling it. And I'm drinking it like tea, but it's hot as shit outside. And I'm just not getting hydrated. I just can't. It's too hot. I can't drink it. And it's the water's not cooling off. There's nothing. I don't. I'm drinking it out of this hot pot too. Oh yeah. 
it was pretty miserable. So anyway, I couldn't really drink water. So I was so thirsty that I didn't eat any food for dinner. So I go to sleep and every single noise. This is my first time sleeping out in the forest. And first time back. A lot of people, when they first backpack, they go with friends or something. Mm -hmm. I just moved here. I didn't know anybody. So I just went out in the woods and slept, right? <laughs> I thought that was <laughs> what it was. I was scared my first time, so... Yeah, it's oh, terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah, every little creek in the, in the night seems to be so much more louder. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that tent, that thin-walled tent, it seems even thinner. You're tripping right out. There's any wind. And you're like, oh, there's a bear smell in my tent right now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and I can't sleep because I'm terrified. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. But I can't eat because I'm too thirsty. And then I'm hot. So I'm sleeping on top of my sleeping bag. And I start to doze off a little bit. And then I would say probably an hour later, maybe, I wake up and I'm cold because it's the mountains and it gets cold at night. Oh, yeah. So I wake up and I'm freezing cold. So I go to jump back in my sleeping bag and just have the most vicious cramp, leg cramp. Just leg seizes up. And again, I'm terrified there's a grizzly right outside my tent, right? <laughs> but I just, I was in so much pain that I was just like, fuck it. So I open up the tent, it's pitch black outside, I jump up, and I just start screaming. Aah! And I start walking around. I go up to that creek. I fill up this, uh, this uh, you know, little pot that I've got and fill up f full of water and just drink it straight. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm walking around, I'm like, fuck you, bears. <laughs> fuck you. Yes. At your limit. <laughs> and I jump back in the tent, go back to sleep. And uh, woke up the next day. Didn't have Giardia. Of course, it takes about 25 hours to onset, but who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Wake up the next day. There's no bear. And there was no sign of any predators <laughs> at all. <laughs> and, and then I make this brilliant decision. Instead of turning around and going back, I'm like, I wake up. The sun's shining just right. It's a beautiful morning. And I'm like, I'm going farther. Hmm. So I walk another five miles or so. And then finally, I wise up and I go okay I should probably turn around so I turn around and walk the other 20 miles or so all the way back no water <laughs> and uh and I'm still trying not to drink stream water mm -hmm. just to be safe but then I ended up you know I'm just like I'm, fuck it I'm, I'm drinking yeah you'll water. accept the risk so I did it I got all the way out of there it was really brutal I got done and there's you know we talked about that overcoming feeling like mm -hmm. I just had this feeling like I, I just wanted to roar, man. Yeah. I just wanted to, like, somebody cut me off right now. I'm like, <laughs> <on> the whole <laughs> world. Yeah. Uh, and it just kind of changed my whole outlook, I guess, on the reality of the wilderness. Mm -hmm. How unforgiving it is? Really unforgiving. Mm -hmm. And, but it's beautiful. Yeah. So, right, you got this kind of weird dual thing going on where mm -hmm. partially it's, it's gorgeous and it's, you know, breathtaking and, and so fulfilling aesthetically. And then it's just so vicious and unforgiving and just does not care about your feelings. Mm -hmm. It's just true. Yeah. It's just true. There is no, you know, there's no worry about, you know, how it's going to affect, you know, how you feel about something. Yeah, exactly. And there's no special permissions or anything like that. It's just, it is. And it's like, it, what it takes to survive in there is unmoving. And there, there's something about that that, that really resonates with me because... The funny thing is, is I had a very similar experience to really? you. Yes, where like I did my first backpacking trip. No one ever. I didn't know anyone who went backpacking before. I bought the. Um, I bought so I bought. It's more embarrassing in a sense. I bought a, a school backpack. Oh I yes. Before nice. I, I brought my my uh, my bedroom blanket, a spare one that I had, because I was like I couldn't afford a sleeping bag, which was 
fucking dumb. And like, I would bring pack water bottles in my backpack. And then um, with food, I'd do like ramen, stuff like that. I wouldn't put any cans in my backpack by any means. But I just went out. And what I would do is I had like, uh, you know what the kids wear? The zip up hoodies and stuff, those thin ones. Yeah. I'd wear like two of those. And then I'd wear pants and I'd go out and it was like, Good to go. Night, cold as fuck. I didn't, I was in Boy Scouts. I started fires. Well, I forgot. And I didn't bring any fire starting stuff, so I'm like <laughs> trying to figure it all out. And yeah, it was, it was fraught with at first disappointment and fear. Yeah, because like, I, I went out there and I I went through all my water. I thought three water bottles would would work. Yeah, right. <laughs> but no, I drank through all three of them by the You're time I got to camp. You're burning 400 calories an hour. You mm-hmm. need to drink like probably four times as much water as you normally drink, mm-hmm. if even if not more. Yep. It, it, yeah, you way more and food too. Like oh, I yeah. had one pack of ramen, and then I had two jerky sticks and oh, some God. nuts. Nope, yeah. I've cleared through those. And there was um, the thing that was odd to me was when I was going. For me, as I as I was moving along, I had doubts where it was like, man, maybe this isn't a good idea. Home would be really comfortable right now. Yeah, like yeah, I, I should just turn back right now. Like it's okay, I can do this like next week. I'll be more prepared or something. And then I was there's was someone else, there's some other voice within my own head, I suppose, that was like, keep going, mm-hmm. just keep going. Come yeah. on, you can do this. And like that feeling of like overcoming when I came back. Sure, it was fucking miserable. I was cold. I didn't have a sleeping pad. Felt every rock yeah. in my back. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna do this again. Like, oh my gosh, it was, yeah. Yeah, that's funny, the fire starting story is funny, because I was trying to start a fire, oh, and really? I could not, and I'm still pretty bad, my, my brother would say I'm bad at starting fires. <laughs> I can get one going now, Yeah. but uh, I'll cheat. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, so you know what's, what's even worse is that I cheated, and it's <laughs> so kind of started. So, and then another one, like on my second trip after that, I because I thought I, I took someone. I'm like, let's go to the rainforest in spring. Because I, I which one? Did you go to the hoe? Yeah, the hoe. Nice. And it was in spring. I didn't. Re- I'm like, it's not snowing there. Well, I didn't realize that it's raining all the time there. Yeah. And that's even harder to start a fire in. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I have you ever done? Um, have you ever been to the Enchanted Valley? Ooh, wait, the Enchanted there? Valley Chalet. Yes. Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, when we went out there, we uh, there was a mudslide, so we had to walk an additional like four miles. I, think. I did too. When did you go, dude? Really? I went. Um, what was it? Last spring. Last spring. Okay. Yeah, last spring. I went the so year, year before. Ago. Oh, really? Maybe it was last spring. Did you meet a bald lady? who was in the forest. A bald lady? Yeah. No. 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 She was pretty cool i did meet a big a pretty big group out there mm-hmm. and again i was having fire starting issues yeah. so I, I spent a few days out there and then it was solo mm-hmm. and i got to the to the chalet and then i was trying to start a fire i couldn't do it and this big group comes up and they're like hey man we'll start a fire up for you if you let us hang out with you oh whoa. i was like please do yes. please do see and i like that too because um some people would feel threatened in that scenario yeah, or it was well. like oh i can't do it but <laughs> You meet, you meet friends. If somebody would have come up the day before, I might have felt threatened. But I was freezing cold. I was like, I was about to walk the 18 miles out of there, whatever it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even realize. So like, I had a, I think I had a bivy sack, and because uh, I w- w- had some electronics, I was bringing with me and shit. Everything got wet. On the Everything. Side. It was, oh. and it was fucking. It was like you're in a shower. It was not. I love it. That was beautiful. So yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of what happens. You 
you tell people stories of a backpacking trip and mm -hmm. there's very little that sounds enticing like very little of a backpacking trip if i tell the whole story from start to finish of the scotland trip just about everybody including myself would think uh that doesn't sound at all like a good story that's <laughs> mm -hmm. terrible i wouldn't even want to watch that in a movie that's so just awful uh but man there it was the best thing i've ever done in my entire life yeah hands down wow. hands down so i got into like i got pretty obsessed with just finding a green spot on the map mm -hmm. and going to it is did that obsession um start to uh bubble up after your first trip after my first one i'd say the next couple days i was like i'm don't think I'll do, be doing that anymore. And then by the next weekend, I was like, I need to do it forever, always. You know? Whoa! And when you were, so did you reminisce after doing it, like within that time period? Were you like thinking back on it? Um, you mean throughout the week? Or yes. like, yeah, I mean, probably. It was a while back, but I I don't know what it was. I think that you just, um, I think we all crave that authenticity. Mm -hmm. And so I think over time, you start getting back into the monotony of life. You start, you know, you're going to work and you're, dealing with shallow interactions and you're stuck in traffic and the next thing you know you're like man I'm, is this stuff any less miserable than being out there in mm -hmm. the cold mm -hmm. at least there's a reward to that at least there's an honesty about it this isn't a, this doesn't seem like an honest world that we live in mm -hmm. it seems like everything's kind of a lie yeah but then on the flip side of that when i would get out of the mountains i appreciate it you know, I, I appreciate the lie. <laughs> yeah, you have a renewed sense of appreciation. Yeah. <laughs> right, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, probably that just the overwhelming feeling of just that you're living in a fake mm -hmm. kind of simulated world mm -hmm. drove me back to do it mm. a little I bit, if, if that makes sense. And then I, yeah, so I, I started uh, over the next few years kind of refining my skills Um if you can call them skills, it's probably just more of just what gear to have. And so what did you find to be the most um, effective source for understanding what gear was essential? Like, did you do a trial and error or did you seek out yeah. role models? Yeah, all, all trial and error. All trial and error. I don't think I, I met people, in fact, on that Enchanted Valley uh, trip, I met some people, those people that came and, and started the fire for me, gave me some really helpful tips Ooh. on gear that I should have. And, and you know, I always wore cotton clothing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's just a no-no in the woods. Yep. I didn't read anything about, you know, I just kind of did it and kind of learned. And I was had this ego about it, like, oh, I don't need anybody's stupid help right that that's what i was getting was curious about too is um were you you were forced to be humble in these scenarios <laughs> it's really humbling yeah really humbling yeah interestingly enough uh, the first couple of years i did it i wasn't doing jujitsu or probably the first year and a half i had done some jujitsu but i think uh that i started to almost get bored with it with backpacking and something about jujitsu kind of revitalized it. Like I, there was some kind of link between the two activities mm -hmm. that kind of drove me wow. in, into both. Yeah, you know, like they fed off each other. And so, I, and, and now in hindsight, I mean, I think I can say it's that challenge and, mm -hmm. and you know that addiction, addiction to that challenge, mm -hmm. obsessing over challenge. Yeah, where again, it's truth. Jujitsu is life and death. Mm -hmm. We don't die because we tap. Yeah. But if we didn't tap, we would die or we would kill. And I can relate that to video games in the sense that I would play video games and at, to a point, I'd play them for hours on end and the challenge, overcoming those challenges were fruitless and it was obvious because yep. it was like, you go into another dungeon in like Skyrim, 
that dungeon's basically like the same one, except with a few things changed around. That quest is the same quest that I just did. Yeah. And it's like, wow, now I gotta pay $60 <laughs> yeah. for my damn game. It's like, yeah, and then you keep doing it, and you're staying up all night doing it, but it's never rewarding. It's chasing mm -hmm. the dragon, you know? You're never finding anything. Yeah. So, yeah, man, these things had a reward, a real reward. It was honest. In a world where people aren't honest to us very often, we're not honest to ourselves even more so, mm -hmm. you're forced to be honest to yourself. Mm -hmm. You're forced to go... You're forced to be humble and swallow your pride a little bit when you're sitting out there in the rain and you're freezing cold and somebody comes up and says, hey, I'll start a fire for you mm -hmm. and I'll share information with you yeah. if you just let us be around you. And you're like, mm -hmm. I admit it, man. Yeah. You got you guys know more than me? Exactly. I would love to learn. <laughs> and I would say, or was that a rewarding experience for you? Hands down. Was that yeah. surprising to you that it was rewarding? Yes. Yeah. For sure. I've experienced that myself. Absolutely. So yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that was a couple years ago. But that, but it was the most, it made me go, I want to be a professional at this because I do it a lot. Because I, I do it a lot. I backpack a lot. Did you, uh, were, were after that first time and when you thought, like, I, you know, I want to do this more, did did you do it a lot from there on no, out? Or no, the first, the first time I did it, I did it uh, one more that season. And it was a little, it was a better trip, although I had the flu. Mm -hmm. So I had, the, I had the flu, I was coming off the flu when I went out there, but I did it anyway. Okay. And... Um, and I also was having a really bad knee problem. So, I mean, that one was brutal too. I had uh, still had those challenges of overcoming and I was out there, you know, still by myself and still cold and still afraid of the woods. I did, I had, you know, it takes more than one time to get over that fear. Of oh, being yeah. In the woods. yeah. I mean, it's, that fear is real. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's kind of a driving force to do it, but no, I did it two, a couple times when I first moved here and I did some day hikes and then the next year i was just craving it by the time you know late spring came around and i you know i had to deal with the obvious pains of uh the long long washington winters in the yeah. mountains yeah. that go on and on and on yeah i didn't even realize they're longer here than they are in idaho yeah yeah. yeah yeah because there's at least some sun there mm -hmm. but here the mountains just stay snowy until i mean late june at least yeah so once I was finally able to get out there, man, I, and I think I grew a lot over that kind of like off season is mm -hmm. what I would call it because I read a lot more about it. I learned about what kind of gear I should get. Do you find that um, in those off seasons or when you spend time away um, that you romanticize what seemed like struggling, mm -hmm. you know, while you're in the thick of it? I've even done that with running. Yeah. It's like, this sucks. Like, I, you know, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And it's just, it's hell. But then when I go home, I'm like thinking of it. And the only thing that I think about were all these awesome parts. And yeah. if I compare notes on like <laughs> my thoughts while I'm doing it yeah. and after it, they're way different. But then when I go back into it, I'm thinking of how awesome it'll be. And it makes it feel more awesome. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean... Isn't that almost true for just about anything in life? Yeah, yeah <laughs> you, so. you look back on it, we all uh, have a false... Stockholm a, Syndrome. A fall, yeah. Well, the Stockholm Syndrome is kind of like uh, being addicted to your abuser. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it is kind of like that. No, but we look at we look back at things that were more of a struggle fondly. Mm -hmm. And then, but do we even remember the things that were, you know, just easy and... and time that they're happening i don't yeah i don't I know so i don't know if it's whether or not we do it's just more of why 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 do i look back on these challenges and mm -hmm. get obsessed over them uh but I, I think honestly i think a lot of it initially when this kind of died after the scotland thing but i think initially it was kind of a pride thing mm. where i 
wanted to do it on my own. I didn't want people to tell me how to do it. And I wanted to go to the craziest places mm -hmm. that nobody, so like, I wanted to go to Yellowstone and hike with the Grizzlies. I wanted to go to Montana and hike with the Grizzlies. I wanted to, you know, wanted to go to, to Canada and hike with the Grizzlies. Still on Alaska is my list. Like, I want to do these things that other people think that's kind of uh, stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and because they're afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And I am too. And that's why I want to do it. I want to kind of overcome it. Yeah, and explore it a little bit. It's all about the exploration. Like, once you, I was talking about this. You were talking about video games the other day. How it's almost like you're unlocking something every time you go to one of these new areas. Like, you, un you unlocked a new map. Yeah. And now you can explore this new territory. Uh, I think that curiosity really drives me. So it's kind of like a mixture of arrogance and curiosity and fear and all these different things that culminated into me just obsessing over backpacking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, that's, uh, and it's an interesting thing to note because those, those objects of um, behavior or aspects of behavior, rather, are something you can't repress and something that could be dangerous if indulged incorrectly. Mm -hmm. There are these yeah. ways to indulge them that help, that are constructive in their form. Yeah, now I think of it more as transforming them. Yeah. Oh. Um, because I... Because it started as that, and immediate, so if you go into a wilderness with arrogance, mm -hmm. you leave humble, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and I was, uh, I kind of think of, um, I kind of think of the, those kinds of things like, uh, okay, so for example, when you're hiking, and you're on, you're climbing a mountain, say, for example, and you got this pack on, and you're hating it, you hate the pain in your legs, you know, you hate the terrain, you hate that you're slipping, you hate that you're tired, uh, you hate the mountain. A mountain. I mean, I, I can think of times where I've been like, fuck this mountain. Just, I hate this mountain. I hate this trail. I hate everything about it. All these bad characteristics are like coming out. And you're, but the mountain didn't change. The trail didn't change. I mean, if I, if you look at the mountain, you say it's beautiful. I love it. If you look at the trail, you're like, oh, I want to be on it. And then you're on it and you hate it. Mm -hmm. Well, why? What changed? Well, you did. <laughs> you're kind of the, the X factor. So, I, I don't know. I guess I kind of eventually learned that when you're doing this stuff, um, yeah, you're you're kind of getting out this pent up frustration. But why? I mean, I, I think you're. I don't think you're really getting it out as much as you're turning it into something. You understand it a little bit better. Mm, yeah. So then it kind of helps you to understand how to interact with hard situations in just day to day life too, mm -hmm. because you're like, you know, why do I feel hate towards this? The situation. I mean, is it really? this person that I hate because they cut me off? Well, no, I don't hate them because they cut me off. I hate that they cut me off, you know? So it's not them that I hate. It's the situation, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, I think it kind of, in a way, hiking really transformed entirely how I look at life. Yeah, and I completely agree with you because I had a transitionary period where it was like, like I said before, I just would sit around and sedentary and I would indulge in you know, video games and just get really high all the time, as a kid, and <laughs> yeah. like just pleasure, right? And there, with very little, uh, what is it? Uh, reward. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Then very right. little reward. There's no had. challenge, and so there, mm -hmm. therefore there's no reward. But this, I've gained so much insight into my own life, just my own life, through these challenges, and whether it is the outdoors, or it's jujitsu, or even running, because I, I can't eat my own bullshit. 
Like, yeah. like if I'm, yeah. I can't be like, I'm, I, I can kick anyone's ass and then right. I go to jujitsu and I get tapped out by everyone. It's like, oh, I got some work to do. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. I can't kick everybody's ass. Yeah. And you can never kick everyone's ass because it's, yeah, you can master something, but it's still ego. Yeah. It causes you to confront like all the aspects of, of your internal landscape. And you can't lie to yourself, like you were saying, because if you go in the wilderness, it's life-threatening. If you go to jujitsu, it's obvious. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. But the, yeah, but the world, yeah, right. You make a mistake out there, and you're you're toast. Yeah. You're dead. And I and that's what people would say, like you know, with black bear, are you gonna go out there? And, you know, what if they maul you? And it's like, well, I suppose I should have been more careful. Like. Yeah. It's, there's consequences. Yeah. And there's real life and death consequences, and we lack that in our society. I mean, we don't, but we'll, I guess we think we do mm -hmm. like for example when you're driving it's you're much more likely to die i've always told people this mm -hmm. you're much more likely to die on the road on the way to a backpacking trip than you are <laughs> to actually die when you're backpacking oh yeah but you don't really think about it because we just do it all the time we're desensitized to it so um, when you do something like backpacking or hunt, just being out in the wilderness where your where your surroundings are so uh, abnormal foreign to you uh you're you're kind of getting slapped in the face with that reality, with mm -hmm. that authenticity that yeah. we're just, we're just not accustomed to being aware of. Mm, that makes sense. Cause within the context, like some people never leave a city, for instance. I don't see how, but that's the truth. That's, that's the yeah. Truth. I've met people do like that during Uber and that was a fascinating <laughs> thing, man. But I took you completely off track. I could, I could, I could do a podcast with you just about Uber. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I got, so you know, obviously I started getting obsessed with the green spots in the map is what I call them. And that's not, you know, you meet a lot of people that backpack and, um, they get, they have areas that they go to over and over again to hike, mm -hmm. which I think is a beautiful thing. Cause you really have like a sentimental connection and with that area. And you then have a, a very, uh, thorough understanding yeah, of that area. It becomes a part of you. Mm-hmm. But I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't do that either. <laughs> I, I, I go, okay, been there, seen it, and I want to do something else. Yep, exactly. I want to go further. And, yeah. So pretty soon I found myself going obsessing over all the different varied landscapes in Washington. So we've got the Blue Mountains down in uh, southeastern Washington. Mm -hmm. And we've got the uh, Selkirks up in northeastern Washington. We've got the Cascades, obviously. We've got the Olympics. Um, and then we've got different regions within those mountain ranges. Yeah. So I wanted to... I wanted to go hike all those regions, okay? So I went and did all those, and it wasn't enough. Like, it was, there was still kind of this tame feeling to it. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, okay, well, next step is let's go hike in uh, Montana. Let's mm -hmm. go hike in Glacier National Park. Let's go hike in Yellowstone. Um, so let's go hike in, in British Columbia in the mountains. Let's go hike in Alberta, you know? And, and so it just became like this drive to constantly go to more and more remote places that that i didn't know people had i didn't know anybody that had been there oh and are you doing this still solo or is it a lot of it it was so i started um getting groups of friends to do a lot of this okay so eventually we started this uh, annual trip with a bunch <laughs> of buddies and a lot of them go every year um and so it's wise in grizzly country not to do it alone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but more so than just being afraid of the grizzlies, which I, I am, um, I love them more than anything, but I'm very, very afraid of the them. reverence. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, it was really cool to go to these areas and share them with somebody because mm -hmm. there's, I think there's a beauty to both backpacking solo, 
and backpacking with people because because mm -hmm. the experience experience is a little bit different when it's shared when there's an on, uh, alternative perspective on what's being seen and camaraderie and yeah. and the story i mean you can get around with people yeah the camaraderie for sure oh, yeah but getting around with with people and we've all got this story we've all got our take on this story you know that's a little bit different than me just going and rehashing my first backpacking trip about how i almost you know uh, how i couldn't find any water mm -hmm. what if there was somebody with me and they're like, well, yeah, but I kept telling Daniel, you know, you shouldn't lean over that waterfall and then the water bottle. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And I imagine it fosters this a great sense of community since mm. it is surrounded yeah. around survival. Which, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and another thing that I love about it is a lot of times you're getting people that haven't or wouldn't have ever done anything like that mm -hmm. to go out there. Because I, like I said, I didn't know anybody that did this. I didn't. When I first moved here, I didn't really meet anybody, so I just started kind of bringing my friends along with me. Mm. And um, first of all, they had the balls to do it, and they wanted to do it because I'm, I'm sure they found the same things in it that I do. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was kind of cool to bring this some, something that I really love, that I was really passionate about, and share it with other people. Because why should I mean you yeah, can't have all, all these, yourself. Yeah, yeah. You can't have it all yourself. That being said, I love a solo trip. The best hikes I've done have been solo. Without it, without any doubt, mm -hmm. um, I hiked in British Columbia last year by myself and um, in Jasper National Park, Ooh. and that was very intense. Just because you're in, you're. <laughs> have you ever seen the movie Grizzly Man? Yeah, you're in areas where you're like, wow, this looks like the place that Grizzly Man got eaten. Oh my god, <laughs> that's so crazy. And there's not even realistically there's not that many grizzlies there but again you kind of start to clench. Yeah, yeah, yeah you start to just kind of build it up mm -hmm. and there's just something just so profound about that fear and overcoming it anyway yeah and trying and combating your imagination because yeah. your imagination likes to run wild and that goes back to sleeping alone in the tent for the first mm -hmm. time and if you have a fire on and the shadows that are dancing on your tent <laughs> yeah. yeah and there's ghosts too on top of bears <laughs> exactly they're shaking my tent it's just the wind man <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and you don't have that fear as much when you're with people a little bit. You can do barely. I don't really much because I've done it solo so much that I know. But, you know, for anybody who's listening, Glacier National Park and Yellowstone National Park have a lot of grizzlies. So don't hike solo there. Yeah, and they're getting very aggressive. And they're they getting out of hand. There's yeah. a lot of them. And they're not being hunted. <laughs> they're not being exactly. They're being managed minimally. So <laughs> yep, they're on the protected species list for yeah. a while. There, I don't know. If they just dropped them, Woo! but but the Humane Society's fighting it. Oh. Yeah. So and and there's a there's a balance with that. And yeah, I, like I said, course. I love the grizzlies, so I, I don't say just go in there and take them all out. But mm -mm. yeah, it, it's definitely your danger level is a lot higher there than if you're hiking in the Olympics. Yeah. Exactly. Or there's black bears that don't really want anything to do with you. Nope, they'll run. Yep, far. they'll run. So, so yeah, man, I got this obsession with it. Um, my brother and I were hiking down uh, in the North Cascades, up in the North Cascades. And we, when I was 20, so about five years ago now, um, I, we, we were talking on the phone. And I said, in five years, we should do the PCT. Ooh. And five years was up. And we're like, it's time to do the PCT, but by this time it had lost its glamour. Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're, everybody it seems like a lot of people have done it. Yeah, the trail's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, mainly distance. Yeah, it's distance, and yeah, it's inclement weather. You know, there's obviously extreme challenges to the PCT, and I haven't even done the done it. I've done small portions of it, so I don't want to knock that. But there was something about the PCT that just didn't have that draw to it. So then we started thinking CDT. 
which is the Continental Divide Trail. Where's the Continental Divide Trail at? Is that where is that? That starts. Um, it's a, it's another Mexico to Canada, but it goes through New Mexico, Colorado, uh, Wyoming, Montana, a little oh. bit of part of Idaho, and all the way to Canada. That's rad. That's a lot of elevation. And it's not, there's not a trail a lot of the way. They still don't have a full trail the whole way. Oh, really? So really challenging. Bushwhacking. Worse weather. There are grizzlies. Uh, that's a more brutal hike. So then we kind of started thinking that. But then that one cost it. it was the, the money was a lot and the time. So mm -hmm. if we would have done that, then we would have started. Um, we would have had to start in early well, basically in, in June, maybe even May, and then we would have ended in, like, October. Wow. So it would have been a long hike. It would have taken a long time, and then we would have really been destitute by the time we got done. Yeah, do you just, like, in those, were you planning to, like, just save money and then quit a job yeah. and find another So, you know, we were both making good money doing HVAC, and so uh, we were, like, we just made kind of this pact. All right, we're both going to save up as much money as we can, and we're going to do this. So we kind of decided on the CDT. But then things started changing, and we started to kind of bail on the idea, and we weren't going to do it. And then something, then we are like, no, let's do it. But do we want to do the CDT, or do we want to do something a little bit more extreme? Not extreme maybe in length, but just something that is cooler to say. Mm -hmm. You know, it's cool to say you did the CDT, but a lot of people don't know what that is. But if you say, I went to New Zealand or I went to Scotland, mm -hmm. then people are like, whoa, all right, all right. Yeah. Cool. And now I don't know if that's my brother's motivation. But for me, you know, talk about my little arrogance and my pride and my looking at the green spot on the map. You know, I'm looking at this big island of Britain. And I'm going, man, there's a lot of rugged territory to be hiked up there. And I don't know anybody who's done that. <laughs> so we're like, let's do, let's do Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> So, again, we kind of went through some waves where we were like, oh, let's do it. No, let's don't. And then almost last minute, we were like, fuck it, let's do it. We're doing it no matter what. Pull the trigger. Let's make it happen. So, it was hard. It was really hard because I was, had a good job and was going to have to quit that job. I was going to have to move. So, there was a part of you that was afraid of the risk of leaving that job. All of all of me was afraid. Of, yeah. <laughs> to say a part is understating it for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I was gonna back. I was like, you know, I've got good money. I'm in a place where I could kind of settle down, and have a little bit of a life. Mm -hmm. But it'd be a boring life, you know. I was getting to the point where I wasn't uh, uh, getting as much out of going and, and hiking in the Cascades or going and and hiking in even Montana. You know, it was like I I, I wanted that. I wanted that uh, challenge of going somewhere new mm -hmm. and trying a new thing and really pushing myself to that mile limit. So you you almost came to terms like this means a lot to me. Actually, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I know I consider myself a Christian at the mm -hmm. time. I was not. But I felt as though there was a force outside of myself mm -hmm. that was calling me to do it. Oh, wow. Interesting. Felt that there was a bigger reason for me to do it. Mm -hmm. And... I was like, I don't, there's no logic behind that because I'm giving up all my money. I'm quitting a good job. I'm leaving my home. So, so yeah. <laughs> why do I have this, this pull to do it? And I, and I don't really want to in a way, like in a way I don't, I kind of don't want to do this trip because I'm giving up so much that makes me feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But then there was something that was saying, no, this is what you need to do. Oh, okay. So, you know, that's kind of way deep down yeah, no. within me, but th that is kind of the big re kind of 
a big reason mm -hmm. that I ended up going through with it. And I understand that in the sense that I've had things that seem like very, very stupid, whether it's like, yeah, like quit my job, for instance, and, you know, going for all these other things, but there's this momentum behind me or this feeling where, like, this feels more right, so I'm going to yeah. just throw caution to the wind and just go. Just go for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what it was, man. I mean, so, and the, the real wrench in all this is that I had gotten a hernia at the same time, so I had to quit jujitsu. It was really painful. So I couldn't, couldn't train, really couldn't work that much, and I had to get surgery. And so the surgery took out of my time to be training for a hike like this, took out of my time to be um, working and saving up money, and really made it challenging. So it was really starting to seem like, how is this going to work? But at this point, my heels were dug in. I was like, no, this is going to happen. And, all, and I have my brother alongside me with all this who's the same. He's like, no, we're doing this. No, we're doing this. You know, mm -hmm. he's, not, he's not trying to back out either. So. Oh, really? So he's helping you. Yeah. Yeah. He's, Push you. He's, yeah, we're, we're pushing each other for sure. And um, so it's not only me that's backing out on this, but it's him that's backing out on this if we don't do it. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, we pulled each other along, and that was a tough time. And he helped me out a lot through that, that whole surgery process. And I got surgery, and... I'm so used to being always active all the time, always training jujitsu, always hiking. That I got surgery in late June, right around when backpacking season is supposed to start, Ooh. and I couldn't really hike, you know. So a week after my hernia <laughs> surgery, I could barely walk. But I started. The doctor said, hey, "What he should have never told me." He was <laughs> like, "Well, you know, you'd probably be okay to do some hikes." Meaning, you know, he probably thought, like, go walk on a little trail in the, around the neighborhood or something yeah. like that. Or go do Mount Sai, mm -hmm. something like that. <laughs> go do Oyster Dome. Mm -hmm. And but that's not, obviously, I mean, I knew that he, that's what he was saying. Mm -hmm. But I kind of was like, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah, you I, said it, dude. <laughs> exactly. You gave me the go. <laughs> so that's when I went and did Solo in BC. That's when I went and then I did um, the Ho River all the way to Blue um, Glacier. Ooh, how was that? That was amazing, man. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I went with my dad and his and his girlfriend, and I, they couldn't make it all the way to Blue Glacier, but uh, and I shouldn't have either because I had just gotten that surgery. But, but I, man, it was something else. Will. Yeah. Yeah, or just stupidity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. Uh, I like that better though. <laughs> yeah, it probably wasn't the smartest thing. And then I and then and then I went and did the group trip in Yellowstone, which was. Um, you know, really, I hadn't heard of a lot of people backpacking in Yellowstone. You hear people going and looking at Old Faithful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, or people going and even hiking, maybe a little bit. But yeah, like little family vacations, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it, as they should, you yeah. know, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I wanted to backpack it. Mm -hmm. You see it on nature channels, you know. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you're like, oh, that looks amazing. Now, what is it like when you're really there? What is it really like? Because, yeah, so, you know, you're, you're half expecting there just to be wolves taking out buffalo around every corner. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> there wasn't. <laughs> but the regardless, just the idea of, you know, we were talking about thinking there's a bear everywhere. Just the idea of knowing that it was such an amazing and historic place. And it's like a modern day Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. That in itself made it such a such an amazing hike. So that was five days and... With a good, real good group of guys. Really? And a lot of fun. Wow. Fun. Any grizzly sightings? Nope. No? No, well, they they saw a grizzly on the drive-in. Mm -hmm. um, we saw a grizzly in Glacier the year before. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, but this, for some reason, I don't know what it was, 
this is a region that's got a lot of grizzlies, and I chose it because of that. Mm -hmm. The Gallatin Range, I believe, is how you pronounce it. Gallatin. Yeah, there's there's a it's right on the border of Montana and Wyoming. Oh, okay. So there's a little range right up on the north part of uh, Wyoming there, and it's a big grizzly rehabil rehabilitation area. Ooh. So and and there were like there was a trail that was closed right beside the trail that we were doing because of a grizzly eating a carcass on the trail. Whoa. So we knew that there was grizzlies out there, but for some reason, just what we went through, we didn't see any. Mm -hmm. It was just one of those things. I mean, there's a lot of them, but they don't care to be seen. Yeah, know? they're the same, just like black bears and stuff like that. For People sure. always think that uh, they're going to follow you. Like they're hunting you. Yeah, and it's yeah. like once they, catch, once they catch wind of you, they're gone, unless they've been human habituated. Yeah. They're, they're desperate. Yeah, which is another odd thing that we can do another podcast about. Why <laughs> yeah. do, do animals react like that to an uh, inferior predator? And actually, I would like to because when I lived in Hope, Idaho, I had a bear down at the foot of my driveway. And really? we interacted with them, there was, uh, they, he would lie, lounge in our driveway with our cats and stuff, and they would eat, feed off all the garbage. They were completely human habituates. So sure. <laughs> crazy. Um, all right, all right. Yeah. Next one. Part two. Part two. <laughs> but so, <laughs> so we did this, and the crazy thing is we got down with Yellowstone. We drove all the way back to... Washington, and then slept next day, went to Scotland. <laughs> really? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So we didn't give it. I spent bef between the month, between my surgery, so I spent a week in July recovering from surgery. And from that point until October, I maybe slept in a bed like 10 times. It was, I lived... You know, I backpacked and backpacked and backpacked. Because I was like, if I'm going to quit my job, dude, I'm going for it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go hit some of these places that I want to go, and I'm going to make it worth it. Because yeah. you never know if you're going to get a chance to do something like this in your life yeah. again. So I let loose, man. <laughs> I went for it. Um, so did my brother, dude. He did, too. He did a lot of backpacking and stuff in a lot of bad, bad areas. Yeah, really? <laughs> so we, we hopped, in, um, hopped on a plane, stopped in Ireland, because we're... Irish, mm -hmm. quote unquote, <laughs> and then uh, you know got real real drunk on some Guinness and <laughs> hit the cool pub. Irish people, oh great Irish oh, people yeah. again, yeah dude, Ireland is is an amazing place, uh, dangerous place surprisingly, really just because people are just pretty rough there. Yeah, you know, sense. but um, man, yeah, being on the Irish countryside, a few things like it, oh yeah. beautiful. That would, that would be really beautiful. Seeing these old Irish ladies and mm -hmm. you know living on farms or whatever their whole life, it's pretty, pretty surreal. But we were only we were in we went to Ireland twice on this trip, but we started there and we were there for two days. Mm -hmm. Took a ferry to Wales, went up through Wales, uh -oh. um, went up into London, which I'm not a big fan of London, big city, but mm -hmm. my brother really loved it. Went from London all the way up to Scotland and started the hike. Wow. Yeah. So. uh yeah, I mean, I, I had researched this hike a lot um, for what research can be had, but little did I know it really wasn't much of a trail. You're walking on, like, old farm roads or nothing, or just walking through fields. Whoa. Yeah. Um, you don't... You don't... The footing was incredibly atrocious there was there was just no like you so, so when we drink whiskey mm -hmm. a little rundown on pete real quick <laughs> when we drink whiskey um it's got that color of of the well basically in scotland the, the rivers look like whiskey 
the water has the color of whiskey. And the reason is because there's uh, thousands of years of plant decomposition broken down into what's called peat. Um, peat, you can take it out, you can dry it out, and it burns really s slow. So you, they use it to smoke the whiskey barrels, from my understanding, and I'm probably way wrong. Long story short, our whiskey ends up looking like the rivers out there yeah. because, because of the peat. Wow. So, anyway, this peat, or otherwise called bog, is just a sponge, essentially, for water. So when you're walking, you'll just sink. Oh, it's like walking to marshlands out here almost. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, maybe maybe it looks solid, but mm -hmm. it's not. Ooh, Where it's marshlands, marshlands look, you know, you can tell. Yeah. And there were those too, but yeah, the, the peat was really interesting. There's not a lot of trail. The Scottish National Trail is kind of like what the PCT used to be before it was established, you know, a national trail. But it's just basically a bunch of pieced together parts that take you all the way up. So it takes portions of this trail and portions of this trail and combines them together. Some guy did it and he's like, hey, this is now the Scottish National Trail. But there's not signs saying, hey, you're on the Scottish National Trail. <laughs> there's not really a, a Scottish National Trail map. You know, you're just kind of, you've got, you can get maps, you know, you can get trail maps. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have this awesome app on my phone, which I would hate to say on this podcast, but <laughs> say anyway, that helped me out a lot because it showed us, you know, where we were going. But uh, yeah, so it was really tricky to find footing. It was really rainy, really rainy. We think it's rainy here and there's... Rains all the time? It was probably, I don't know, my brother might have a different take on this but i think there was probably two days that were solid sun out of 25 of hiking oh and what's your relationship to rain is it you like it or well before i moved to washington i would have said that i love rain yeah i moved to washington i didn't really start to hate rain but i'd start to like more of the four seasons like mm -hmm. i don't like the rainy season in washington yeah i would rather have a solid rainy spring sunny summer uh Mm -hmm. fall with you know all the things yeah, like nice, a brisk nice fall change. maybe yeah and then a cold snowy winter um this was summer this was august and it was just kind of like a western washington fall i guess whoa yeah so really rainy all the time and the hard thing about the rain when you're hiking that much is that it's uh you're constantly changing layers because it because it it'll, it'll be rainy and then it'll be dry. It'll be kind of warm because it's August still, and so then you're hot. So then you're taking all your clothes off. <laughs> you're oh putting my all gosh! Them back up. Yeah, <laughs> it's like in a pageant, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It felt like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that was that was pretty interesting. Uh, the Scottish people were really cool. We were hiking probably about twenty between 20 and 27 miles a day mm -hmm. oh, damn which is you know really brutal because our pack was about 50 pounds mm -hmm. and uh hoofing it yeah we were actually going slow compared to a lot of people a lot of oh, people really? even faster than that every guy's doing 30s guys on the pct will do 30s and sometimes even 40s yeah i was seeing there's a guy who did the pct in 60 days and i'm like yeah my ego set in i'm like i can do that in 55 <laughs> <laughs> give me a couple years yeah. come on <laughs> yeah and you could you could and we could have gone faster but mm -hmm. it's just how much are you enjoying it if you're going faster mm -hmm. um, so when you're on the trail um was there a an array of wildlife um, yeah, so you really want to get crazy. Europe 
is not like the United States and really not many countries are. People don't, I don't know that people recognize this. We had some good debates with some Scottish people about it. They don't have public land. Whoa. So what were you on? What were you hiking? Private. People's estates. That's weird. Now, they're vast estates there. I mean, you wouldn't know that anybody lives there. and Nobody does live there for the most part. Maybe it's just like hunting property that they have or whatever. But Scotland has a right to roam law. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Something like that. Right to roam? Which means that you can hike on anybody's land as long as you, you know, do basic trail etiquette. You don't, you know, you take all your trash out and whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're on... We did go through one national park, Cairngorms National Park, but it's not how we think of a national park here. It's not just like full of wildlife and never been touched. I mean, it's... I, I. I think they almost just call it National Park just to say it's National Park. Mm, and parts of it are still owned by people, but they just have restrictions as to what they can do on it. Whoa. I don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's not public land like we've got public land. And that's pretty, that's, I mean, that's a pretty modern idea to have land like we do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Europe doesn't. Um, most, I think maybe all of Europe doesn't. Is it um, evident in the wildlife, though? Like yeah, so yeah, yeah that's what. So there are red deer mm-hmm. um, in abundance, but the there are no predators for the red deer. There should have been wolves. There used to be wolves, but the wolves got hunted. There are badgers there, strangely mm-hmm. enough, which are really rare here, mm-hmm. but we didn't see any. Um, there's not like bald eagles or anything. There's definitely no predators, so I can't... I mean, the badger is probably the biggest predator. Coyotes are only in North America, so there's no coyotes. Oh. So, yeah, wildlife is... And even plant diversity, just not much of it. Really? Yeah. Oh, because if it didn't have any, like, agricultural value or anything like that, I would imagine that they, there's no incentive to keep it around. Yeah, I mean, the value of it is sheep. Oh. It's all sheep land, so... what. What they're having, the problems that they're having over there right now is that is that these farmers, you know, no different than the problems we have over here with coal miners or whatever. Is those the guys who have been doing sheep farming, even though it's they don't not necessarily the most uh, environmentally um, viable thing to do to have a bunch of sheep run around eating all the vegetation. Um, they're that's their lifestyle. Those guys are out there herding sheep their yeah. entire life. They can't think of anything that they would rather do than that. And they make enough profit to where they can at least sustain it. Mm-hmm. So so there's a big sh- argument with, you know, should we have the, should we ban sheep farming? Um, they're doing, they do this weird thing there where they plant, they plant um, spruce trees almost. So they'll have sections of it that all of a sudden you're just in a spruce forest that looks like you're in Washington and then ne- and then you'll be hiking down, you know, another mile or so. And then all of a sudden you're just in Braveheart, <laughs> oh, <what? laughs> you know, it's just really weird. Uh, and they're like really orderly trees. So they're, uh-huh. they're all sequenced oh, because yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'll see those passing by and I'm like, that's a tree farm, son. Yeah. That didn't just grow. There. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and most of the trees in Washington are second, third growth, you know, uh, there's very few actual original growth. That's why the whole rainforest is mm-hmm. so amazing. Mm-hmm. But uh, there, they what trees there were, they got taken out. Wow! And um, just because it's so, so old, humans have been there for so long. Mm-hmm. I would, and that's what I when I would think of it, I would think of like uh, 
large grasslands or something of the sort, a Braveheart. Yeah, like you're saying. yeah. I'm like, that's how it always was, because I'm uneducated. But it wasn't. It wasn't. And I didn't uh, know that either. I read a book before and after I went there, so I read it a little bit before. I couldn't understand it. And then, I, and then after I got back and had been there and knew the landscape a little bit better, I could understand. Um, I can't remember what that freaking book is called. But basically, Scotland used to be... Um, it used to, well, it's gone through a lot. I could go through the whole history of it, and I would say it all wrong. But at one point, it used to be temperate rainforest. Like here? Or, yeah, yeah, and even maybe even slightly warmer than here. Whoa. Yeah, and then as the glaciers melted and the Atlantic Gulf, or the Atlantic uh, current, whatever that's called, mm -hmm. jet stream, the Atlantic oh, yeah. jet stream happened because of glacial melt. Then it started to get more temperate up there, a little bit colder. Um, the trees got taken out for various reasons. One is agriculture. One is they had a major tsunami that hit Scotland on the northern tip of it. Really? So it's speculated just that... The tip. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Sorry. just a tip. Just a tip. <laughs> so it's speculated that, <laughs> that uh, a lot of northern Scotland was taken out by that tsunami. And that's what took out a lot of the, a lot of the trees, and then nothing can grow there because there's too many deer and there's too many sheep. Whoa! Yeah, that's insane. And it's really high wind, a lot of rain. I mean, a lot of rain. They get the what our west coast gets here in Washington. They get they get that every year. So they're you know they would be a rainforest if they were a forest. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Wow. So really wild weather, but I mean I think the. So, you know, you say stuff like that about about the trip and you talk about stuff like how your feet are wet 100% of the time. I got the flu twice because they're just so cold and you're constantly changing temperatures. And... How, how do you handle the flu out there? Well, we cheated. We uh, bunked up for a couple of days. My uh, gracious brother paid for paid for oh, us yeah. to stay somewhere for a little bit mm -hmm. uh against my will to an extent and then we stayed and and he just hung out and i uh just was sick probably two or three days mm -hmm. but i was pretty sick throughout the trip oh, and really? i couldn't tell you really why but it was really bad then because i had this fever and it was bad towards the end after we got done so i would think that i either had to do with recovering from surgery and not resting properly <laughs> yeah Traveling a long distance, mm -hmm. going to new countries, new places, yeah. lack of sleep, mm. not a lot of sleep. You weren't sleeping very much? Well, we once we got there, we didn't take jet lag into account, so we partied all night. Yeah. We woke <laughs> up early the next morning, we Ooh. shipped all the way down to Southern Ireland, and then we uh, went to sleep for a few hours, hopped up, had to hop on a ferry early the next morning, mm -hmm. went to Wales. There's these, you know, you have jet lag, so you're not sleeping at normal times. There's these crackheads outside this uh, hotel and, or motel or hostel, whatever it was, in Wales that just would not shut up. So I woke up at 3 in the morning, and I could not sleep for the life of me. Oh, that. shit. So I got up and, like, wrote or something like that. Yeah. And then went to London, got in a hostel there, got started to fall asleep, and then this guy named uh, William, who was <laughs> from Scotland, he uh, came into the into the hostel in the middle of the night, and he's all loud and started talking to us, started talking politics, and started talking all all this kind of crazy stuff. And uh, he kept us up for a while. Had to wake up early the next morning, bounce out, and hit, catch our train all the way back to or up to Scotland. Got to Scotland, 
met these girls from Canada, <laughs> party with these girls from Canada, uh, party, we walked, we went to, just hung out with them the whole night, Yeah. way too late, oh, no. woke up the next morning and started hiking, <laughs> and it's cold, and there's not, you know, it's just, it's different, you're not used to it, mm -hmm. um, Right. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Still okay. good. All right. So, uh, yeah, man. Um, I don't know if that's why I was sick, but who knows? It just run down, and then recovering from a surgery, man. And some people like would look at that, and they're like, "Man, I, I can't believe that you would go and tackle something like that. Like that you had the will to tackle it. But is it? You weren't considering that, I would imagine. It's just like one step after the next. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Process. Um, first of all, there's a couple things that I'll be honest about number one is that I could use that as an excuse mm -hmm. that oh, I'm hurting you know so I always had this kind of fallback for myself all mm. oh, oh, I can go slow because I'm hurting or, yeah okay. and, may, and maybe 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 I'm looking at that wrong now that I'm vocalizing it mm -hmm. because at the time I was looking at it as like oh you're just making this excuse for yourself yeah but now that I'm thinking about it I'm thinking well maybe I should have been making an excuse yeah, exactly. maybe it's a valid excuse <laughs> but then again though uh, like that's what I'm saying is like the things that you're doing, some people would see them as extreme, right? And yeah. that inner critic though within yourself brings you to these fucking awesome stories. Like, yeah. That's that thing that took you there. Cause if I, I feel like you would have been, um, you would have been stopped a long time ago. Yeah. If you would have been like, Oh, I'll just turn back because you know, I should. Well, what happens if you go there, do all this, you quit your job and then you quit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what we got to, I don't know, halfway through the trail or whatever. And there was a point where we hadn't had a lot of food. Mm -hmm. We were freezing cold. We had battled being sick. The trail had disappeared completely. It was all off trail. Whoa. Um, we got to this town and got in there. And I was so exhausted and so frustrated that I... Uh, it's crazy, you know, I don't know how much time we have. We've probably been doing this for a while, but I... It, <laughs> we when we before we got to this town we lost our trail and and i was navigating most of this time mm -hmm. um probably again out of arrogance a lot of it yeah you know, it's gonna be my way i can control it mm -hmm. and so we lost this trail and we decided we had to cross this river and the river's really high and so i'm thinking oh i'm gonna cross the river over here and so i Go trying to cross the river and I get stuck at a point because it's too deep. Mm -hmm. I put my little trekking pole in and it just kept going. <laughs> oh no! I'm, like, I'm not crossing there. Yeah, and it's moving fast. Ooh. And my brother's walking upstream and he's like, "I'm gonna cross up here." And I'm like, "Yeah, whatever. I'm crossing here." And and it didn't work out. So I ended up following my brother. We have to climb over this fence into this guy's yard. I, this guy this guy yells i fall boom there's little bugs called midges there midges? which i haven't even got to this, this is a, one of the biggest parts of the story scottish people know what i'm talking about <laughs> there's there's little bugs called midges they're like mosquitoes but there's way more of them and they're Ooh. tiny and they bite you and they anytime you stop they're coming after you so like when we would get to our tents and get them set up we're just the whole time just fighting we had bug nets and everything but they're still brutal and we had to just get in our tents we couldn't you know if you backpack here you can hang out even if there's mosquitoes it's whatever you yeah it's get not over. too bad it's not a swarm <laughs> yeah so we would um you know backpack here you can hang out whatever watch the stars <laughs> one time i saw the stars probably while i was there because those midges were so bad Whoa. that you just get in your tent and you just 
eat and go to sleep. Yeah. So anyway, there's midges attacking me. I fell. This guy's yelling. And he's like, hey, why don't you guys go that way? And I'm just like, fuck this, fuck this. I don't know. Yeah, it's super frustrated. And we talk to this guy a little bit. Um, we get to this town, and luckily there's this awesome hostel there. And I'm warming up, but I'm really feeling, I wasn't feeling like I wanted to quit. I can't, I guess I can't really say I would ever quit. But I was definitely feeling like I was going to fail. I was feeling like I was failing. You're at your breaking point. I was like, I'm not doing this trip well. This mm -hmm. is not happening how I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be beautiful, Braveheart, Scotland, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I had all these ideas of what was going to happen. And it's just not happening that way. Uh, my brother and I were bickering a lot. You know, just brothers is what we do. And uh, we woke up the next day. And there's this woman, and we make this huge breakfast that I could never eat. We just cook all this food. And there's this woman cleaning the hostel that's there, and we start talking to her. By the way, the people that we met on this trip were incredible. Just oh. so many great stories of meeting people. We could have done, you know, you could have done this and done podcasts. It would have been amazing. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, <laughs> there's an idea for you. There's an idea for you. But, uh, yeah, so this lady's talking about, she's, she's like, oh, yeah, there's... Um, We've had a, a, I said, how many Americans do you think do this trail? And she said, I don't know that I've known. She said, I've known Americans that have tried it. She said, I just met a guy and his son that were trying it. And they figured out, they got to this point in the trail, figured out there wasn't a trail. The midges sucked and they quit. Whoa. And it hit me that this isn't something Americans do. Mm -hmm. There may never be somebody that I meet again that's done this trail and that really meant something to me it was like it revitalized me it was like and i realized the problem that i'm having isn't the trail it's not scotland it's not the midges it's not the rain it's my attitude towards it mm -hmm. i need to have a better mentality i need to be excited to get up and hike in the morning when i'm hurting i need to embrace it you know and i i just kind of turned a little bit of a, a corner i guess there mm -hmm. and we finished it strong i mean we went out <laughs> We met this uh, English dude that we'll call Biscuit for the mm -hmm. purpose of this podcast. <laughs> and that was his trail name. His trail name was Biscuit. Biscuit. And uh, he hiked with us the last few days. The last day we hiked into the night. Um, and now that I look back on it, I was thinking about this the other day. This is m maybe one of the most, probably the closest, one of the most dangerous um, things that's ever happened to me while on a hike. But um, we were... Hiking in the middle of the night, and Biscuit, he's fascinated by country music. Mm -hmm. Oh, ooh. Because he just thinks, he thought it was a comedy. He didn't think it was real. Are you serious? Which, can you blame him? Yeah. <laughs> and oh, and we, we hate country music, but uh, so Biscuit would n throw out some kind of like uh, silly line, uh, like context of a country song. And Isaac and I, my brother, would start singing, <laughs> make up make up country songs as we go. Pretty soon we realize we don't really know where we're at. It's pitch dark. This is the very last night. We're supposed to be getting this lighthouse. And all you can see is this big, dark spot. But you really can't tell. Oh, yeah. We're it's on, like darker than all the rest. Yeah. And yeah. we're on the tip of Scotland now. This is the very end. We're probably three, four miles away from from the the end goal, which is the lighthouse. And so... We just see this dark spot, and Isaac and uh, Biscuit are kind of like, well, the map looks like we should just go right over there. And I'm like, yeah, but that looks like it's a drop-off. So we stop for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Biscuit rolls a couple cigarettes. We don't mm -hmm. smoke, but we've been smoking with Biscuit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
we're sitting there and and uh turns out as we're looking at this that this drop off is is drops right into the atlantic i mean it's just straight straight cliff gosh and we were walking right towards it, <laughs> singing stupid country songs. We get back to singing country songs, and we shift our direction and start going the right way, you know. But uh, and then, and then there's, you know, you're hiking. We're all getting, starting to get quiet. We're getting tired. It's pretty close to midnight now. Mm-hmm. We've been hiking since six in the morning. Ooh. We're in a lot of pain. The pain of my feet. It took me at least a month and a half to recover from the feet pain, and just constantly having wet feet. Your feet mm-hmm. are just always wet. Oh, that's miserable. Another reason people quit is your feet are just never dry. Mm-hmm. And we're feeling a lot of pain. We're walking on this. Now we're, we've gone from being pathless to walking on this little dirt road. And you're just tired. You're walking up this hill. You're grinding. You know, like I said, almost midnight. And you're just full. You're just thinking, but you know you're about to be there. You know you're about to be to yeah. the end. And you're thinking that you just did about everything you just did. And you're thinking about how it's all coming down to this last push. Like this last uh just everything everything you're just putting everything out there your pack hurts my pack's falling off like won't even stay on me it's carried so much weight it's just been hit nail with water and you're waterlogged and you're just beat tired and you get kind of to the top of this hill and you look over and there's the lighthouse oh and man i think just we probably all just in unison just had just chills yeah and get to the end. I don't think we said anything. None of us said a word. We got to the end and uh, got to the lighthouse. It's the middle of the night. The moon is now out, I think. But there's a little drizzle too going on in Scotland. It's crazy. <laughs> and we look over, hear the waves, you know, hitting the hitting the shore and or hitting the cliffs, really. And it was just uh, life changing, man. There's never been a more satisfying singular moment in my entire life than having completed that at that moment because it's just all that pain suddenly stopped being pain mm-hmm. all the hate that i felt you know towards those hills or all the anger that i felt towards myself or you know thoughts of failure thoughts of quitting or uh frustration towards my brother and not being in control of the situation or what am i going to do when i'm done and all these things had just boiled up and then just whoosh, evaporated Ooh. Right at the end, and and suddenly, like nothing mattered, man. It's like, what? What does it matter what I do after? What did it matter what I did before? You're just doing it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what life is. We're and we think of it as as this linear thing. We think of it as beginning and ending, right? But it only begins and ends in our minds. Life, mm-hmm. as we know it, just continues with or without us. We're just kind of along for the ride. We're just kind of paying attention. We're just kind of fortunate enough to be conscious and aware of our life and our feelings and our frustrations, you know, but it's so much more than, than just being aware of it. There's something going on far beyond our, our limited understandings. And so we're really blessed to have an opportunity to understand it, you know, blessed to have an opportunity to witness the evaporation of these feelings or witness achievement, you yeah, know, to be conscious of it. Gosh, conscious. isn't that just the most beautiful thing? Yes, it is. So we got in there, man, and and the the guy, the lighthouse keeper, he comes out. This is a guy that lives in the farthest, roughest tip of Scotland. Gets nailed by hundred mile an hour wind Whoa. for nine months out of the year, freezing cold. He comes out, he brings us in, he pours us some port wine, and <laughs> and gives us some ale. And pulls out this little box. It's, it looks like a first aid kit. Opens it up. 
there's some hash in there. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and we don't even smoke. We're like, hey, whatever. Why not? Yeah. So it gets us all just messed up, like spinning. <laughs> and he's talking conspiracy theories about Trump and World War Three. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like the most normal guy you Dude, find out in the middle. Dude's got no internet. Nothing. So he just sits out there and and, and watches like conspiracy. D From what I gathered, he just sits out there and watches like conspiracy DVDs or reads crazy ass books. Like the Alex just Jones lives there with it. He's yeah, Alex <laughs> Jones of Scotland. Yeah, exactly. He except <laughs> <a> way cooler. <laughs> um, and that was it. And then we hop. We rode. Took different means of transportation to get down back into Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, Glasgow, not Edinburgh, and then we got down back down to Glasgow, and and then took a bus to the uh, south southern tip of Scotland, hopped on a ferry, went back to Ireland, spent a few days in Ireland, about you know five days or so, and then back to the United States. And that was it. Wow. With no real plan of what we we're gonna do, just kind of came back. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. How was it like to be back? Man, well, um, how is it like within me? Or how? I, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I changed. The person I am right now mm -hmm. is one hundred percent different than the person that I was before. Ooh. My understanding of the world just by being, you know, we didn't just meet Scottish people. In fact, I would say we met equally as many people from other countries that were just traveling to Scotland because it's holiday season, is what they call it, mm -hmm. where everybody's just traveling. All students and stuff. So we met a lot of people from a lot of different countries. Um, my perspectives on uh, just about everything. I don't know if they changed as much as they grew. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've always been pretty libertarian minded with my politics. And being over there where they're a lot more liberal, socialistic. Um, a lot of people I think might become more liberal and socialistic. I didn't really. But I learned that there isn't a single way for us to... To govern this world I learned um, man I learned to be humble mm -hmm. I learned to listen I learned to let uh, let things go and let them be mm. and accept things um, I learned uh, how to not be resentful I was I think I had a lot a lot of control issues mm -hmm. previously in my life and I just kind of learned how to not be frustrated when I'm not in control and not resent people for their successes. Um, and then as far as how did it feel to be back, it felt like I just experienced a whole different life. And then all of a sudden I was back into my old one. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> oh shit. Now I'm back and here's my bed. And um, I'm thinking about money again and thinking about what I'm going to do and seeing friends again you know people that i knew and seeing family but it was like it was almost like um there was just this overwhelming peace mm -hmm. within me that i that i had kind of done it mm -hmm. and it was like nothing could really get me down i was just kind of on top <laughs> yeah. of yeah there's no kind of money issues and it's never gone away man wow you know i don't i i i deal with the way that i uh interact with people has changed entirely and I think it would be the same for my brother. Mm -hmm. I really found what I wanted in the middle of that trip um, mm -hmm. as far as what I wanted for myself and my life. Whereas before it might have been, I might have been too stuck in the whole idea of what is success in life. Mm -hmm. 
um, so much that I just ran around trying to find it rather than just being it. I don't know. If that makes yeah, any no, sense, that, you know? that does make sense. It's just be, being present and, and um, observant as opposed to trying to force your ideal yeah, onto yeah. yourself and the world around you. It's exact. It's exactly it. So you know, beforehand it was like, do I want money? Do I want a wife and a family? Do I want both, or do I want to just travel and party, or do, you know, what do I want to do? And and um, some somewhere in this trip, I would say the biggest thing that I learned, I didn't really know until the other day. Somebody was talking about what they wanted of their life, and he was saying, you know, I I kind of want to be this, and I kind of want to be that. I want to help people, but also I'd like to make some money. And and he said, and I, isn't the overall goal to be happy anyway? And I went, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it's not. The overall <laughs> goal is not to be happy. Uh, the overall goal is to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Often happiness is an aspect of that. But I wasn't happy at all when I was doing this hike. Mm -hmm. It was brutal. It was ugly. It was terrible. I was sick. It was rainy. We are bickering with my brother and, and just whatever. I was running out of money. I didn't have anywhere to go. I was basically homeless. You know, mm -hmm. it was like, what's, what's happy about any yeah. of that? Uh, there were moments of pure joy mm -hmm. and adrenaline sure but were they ha i mean it was uh, the happy is not how i would think of yeah. it exciting but but it was the best thing that i've ever done it was mm -hmm. it was the most important thing that to this point in my life i've ever done because it just it gave me so much as a conscious individual mm -hmm. and that's fulfillment it fulfilled me and it changed my entire outlook Mm, yeah, you know what I mean, so yeah, I like that. Yeah, sweet. And one more thing before we close out, what's your? Do you have a trail name? Uh, <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, my trail name was Wooly. Wooly? <laughs> Wooly? Really? Well, yeah. How'd you get the trail name? <laughs> <laughs> so man, I don't know how much time we got. <laughs> no. So I told you about the the Scottish farm boys that can't get away from them. From the. Uh, the sheep, mm -hmm. right? That's their whole lifestyle. So my brother and I are hiking down. I don't know how many days this is in, but I'm starting to get sick, right? I've been getting rained on. We're, we're, we got all this rain gear on, and I'm drenched to the bone and freezing cold, oh. and there's nothing you can do about it. it all your clothes are wet mm -hmm. everywhere. It's blowing wind, so every, the, you know the water's going sideways into your clothes. So anyway, we're hiking down this trail. Our feet hurt. This road really is an old old farm road mm -hmm. and uh we see these these farm boys drive up and i'm talking they look like they were in the early 1900s Whoa. everything that they're wearing <laughs> they're on this old little farm truck and they drive by and hey how's it going and mm -hmm. we wave at them and and i'm just like man i wish we could <laughs> yeah <laughs> wish they could pick us up right now it's brutal so anyway we keep hiking another mile or so and then they come back behind us and then they drive by and i said how much would you guys charge for a ride? And, and they go, oh, man, hop on. In their Scottish accents, which I'm not going to even butcher right now. <laughs> I could, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, so we hop on their, hop on the back of their truck, and I look over at them, and I realize none of them are wearing any rain gear. And I say, hey, how come, how are you guys staying dry? And they're like, oh, we're not staying dry. It's, we just wear wool, so we're warm when we're wet. And I was like, wow. That makes a lot of sense. That's all they wear. They just wear wool. Everything's wool. You know, they live with sheep. Why yeah. not? Why not dress? With so, 
you know, I was crazy talking to them and getting kind of the other end of this uh, sheep farmer angle Mm -hmm. because most, you know, an environmentalist hates those people and fights against them. And those people just, to them, they're out. They're like, the environmentalists are not even outside. Mm -hmm. We're outside every day all the time. This is our life. We we love the outdoors more than anybody, right? Mm. Oh, whoa, yeah. So it was kind of an interesting perspective. But anyway, the biggest thing that I took from it was the wool idea. So... (laughs) I didn't have a lot of wool. I didn't have money to go buy a bunch of wool clothing, so I just had to abandon the idea of wool. But, and I was going to bring this hat, but I forgot. But I, my brother and I are at this uh, little shop near Loch Ness. Everybody knows about Loch Ness, right? Yeah. And we go into this shop, and they've got these, those, whatever those freaking hats are called. Whatever they call them, tweeds. But do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Do they have the things where they flipped up? No, just Um, the the hats that you, all freaking Irish... Any Irish person you imagine is wearing. Oh one. yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You probably know the name. I could probably is it, pull it up. It's not like a beret or anything like that, like the. No, cap. not quite. But it's just kind of. Oh shit. So, anyway, I see this hat, and uh, I'm like, I gotta get that. I gotta get that. So I put the hat on. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I put the hat on, and. Uh, I wore it the whole rest of the trail, and it's just amazing because water hits the hat and just beads right off. Even if it's a little bit wet, you're still warm. And so everybody, you know, I'm just telling everybody about this hat. (laughs) And this hat, you know, wool is the way to go, blah, blah, blah. I was probably talking about it more than I even realized, bragging (laughs) about my wool hat. And so we're, we're talking about nicknames towards the end with Biscuit, who his nickname's way more clever than Wooly. (laughs) But they couldn't figure out a nickname for me. And I was like, well, why don't you just, you know, give me something like Dragon Hunter or something. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> we go over all these different nicknames. Uh, my little brother's name was Noli, which is also a better story. <laughs> Noli. But they decided to call me Wooly because I was obsessed with my wool hat. <laughs> Wooly. So I was Wooly. I like that. That's dope. <laughs>